Hi everybody, welcome to the inaugural Facebook of Intellectually Speaking with Dr. Steve Pederuti and Shannon. Today, our first show ever, we're going to be talking about topics relevant to you in the world of medicine, sports, and politics. At Intellectually Speaking, we see how these things kind of interconnect. And I suppose a theme for today's show is going to be hubris, medical hubris, as well as political and we're going to be looking at some of the things that affect you on an everyday basis. The influence of um, enlightened self-interest versus myopic self-interest. So hubris and self-interest and the beautiful miracle of capitalism and why we need to hold on to that and what the consequences will be if that unravels. And also information about procedures that your docs may want to do to or for you that have no proven benefit and that you really need to contemplate. So we'll jump right into that. And yes, we have to talk about Gronkowski's retirement and its intellectual speaking take on that. Um, Shannon is with us. She is fielding questions and will be part of the show today. Morning, Shannon, or afternoon. Um, and if you want to type in on Facebook, we can respond to questions as we're speaking. So I want to tell a couple of stories, and this will highlight a little bit about the dynamic of socialism and the dynamic of Medicare for All and the way that this could play out. Two stories. First one, this is a true story. Patient goes to the emergency room, the emergency room, because she had been bitten by a mosquito. I'm not making this up, people. And the doctor was a little dumbfounded. Well, what about that prompted you to come here? She said, well, they itch. Therein lies a microcosm of the problem when the recipient of a service is not accountable for any of the financial consequence of it. At no point did that individual who was in the emergency room for free pause to think, wow, maybe there's a better use of $500 or $1,000, which is what the bill will run up to by the time I'm done processing the paperwork. Flip it around. So we have one problem, a lack of accountability in a socialistic Medicare for all system. Medicare as it currently stands is only a partial subsidy of the healthcare needs of people that have achieved an advanced age. They've paid into it. It's part of the social contract, but it doesn't pay for everything. They've got to supplement that in many, many cases. The promise of not having to pay for anything is toxic. It's creating an expectation that will be ruinous. You're gonna either have, or you're gonna have both actually, disappointed recipients of this promise when it doesn't occur, as well as a collapsing of economic support. You're taking a huge chunk of the American economy and socializing it. Now, let's take another look. This is a true story. A visitor here from England went into kidney failure after acquiring an infection. The visitor in question was in his mid-80s, required extensive hospitalization, including kidney dialysis, and after about six weeks in the hospital, walked out of his own power, flew back to England, felt great, sent a thank you note back to his doctors here in the United States. Unfortunately, he couldn't pay the bill. He paid nothing. They attempted to collect it from England's healthcare system, but they're not accountable for that. He said, thanks to you, I'm alive today, because in England, they don't do kidney dialysis after a certain age. 
They just don't. You just die. It's not paid for. Who makes those decisions for people? Well, in a capitalistic-oriented system, you have some flexibility in how those decisions are made based upon the insurances that you acquire. Otherwise, it's the government that has to ration that care. We got issues. We got issues with health care. But when there is a simple, central, organized response like Medicare for All, sounds appealing, but we have to be wary of the details. There are a lot of things that could be done to reform medicine. There are things that need to happen to reform it. One of those things is you, dear patients, you need an advocate. Now, intellectual medicine, we're here in Rhode Island. We do a form of advanced anti-aging primary care. We offer intravenous infusions for everything to enhance energy, to fight cancer, to improve cardiovascular health. Some of the things we do should be part of the broad spectrum of healthcare. They're all on the complementary realm, and few of them have been fully embraced. It doesn't mean they're not great. It just means that there's not enough financial interest to propel them into the mainstream of care. So what are we talking about? We're talking about, for instance, how dollars affect human behavior and institutional behavior. In America right now, there's a procedure called ablation. When they can put a catheter in for people in atrial fibrillation, which is an irregular heartbeat, extraordinarily common, and they can electrically zap the wires, hoping to stop the irregular beat. So you have a procedure, it's called ablation. You have a very common condition called atrial fibrillation, AFib. Now we've got a wristwatch that can tell you if you're going into AFib or not. This sounds great. I can tell on my wristwatch if I'm in AFib. And I can go get ablated. Isn't this great? Time out. They did this study with the Apple wristwatch. Now follow the money, people. Apple wants you to believe that their wristwatch will save your life. I could tell if I'm in AFib. Isn't this awesome? Well, number one, we all go into irregular heart rhythms periodically. It's normal. It'd be abnormal never to go into one. We've all felt that skip of the beat. If you have a watch that lights up like red every time you skip a beat, it's going to create a panic moment and amplify the pathological consequence. There's no good evidence that going into little tiny spurts of atrial fibrillation does you any harm. For the vast majority of people who are otherwise healthy, it can be a normal event that simply comes and goes. And you're better off not knowing about it. Right? Okay, so now you know about it because your watch just told you you have AFib. What do you do? You go to the emergency room. I have AFib. My watch just told me at 2.13 this afternoon, I went into AFib for 32 seconds. Now they're stuck. They have to react to that. The financial incentives are encouraging them to react to that. You order lab tests. You get studies done. Now they're going to refer you to cardiology. And the cardiologist, guess what they like to do? Ablation. In hospitals across America, ablation is a commonly done procedure. Average cost, twenty dollars to $40,000. Doctors doing ablation are making upwards of two 
million dollars a year. Look, there's nothing wrong with an enlightened self-interest. Everybody is incentivized to make money. In the best of circumstances, that incentive drives you to hire services that benefit those who you're serving. Nobody goes into that thinking, hey, I'm going to do harm and make money. Well, very few. But what about the ablation? It looks good. It sounds good. Problem. A recent study looking at ablation versus placebo found no benefit. None. You're better off just doing the old-fashioned medical support and not bothering with the ablation, according to the study. The problem, of course, is studies like that get buried because nobody's making money by doing nothing, right? You're making money by doing ablations. So if I'm JoJo, the ablation specialist, and I'm making my rent on this, paying my rent nothing, paying my mansion on this, what am I going to do with that information? Am I going to say, oh, golly, I guess I better stop doing ablations. No, you're going to like tilt the information to your favor. If I'm a manufacturer of a, of a device, there's a device, let me check the note on this, called the Impella. It's a cardiac device that is a little pump that assists the heart. The Impella costs $25,000. It's been FDA cleared, which is what happens to devices, so it can be utilized. 50,000 of them have been implanted. To date, no study has been done to judge if they're effective. The company will never do that study. Nothing but bad things happen to them if they do it. My point in all this is you've got to really question when people want to do stuff to you. Here's another one. Cardiac uh, stents. Aren't they great? You go in, you put a stent in, it opens up a blocked artery, gets blood to the heart. What's bad about that? Turns out that when you stent people because they're having chest pain due to blocked arteries, there's no benefit over conservative non-stenting therapy. The only setting in which it's been shown to be beneficial is in the middle of a heart attack. Stents are done every day. They're big business. They're big money. The mere fact that they're not beneficial will not stop them from happening. It's really hard not to put them in. Shen, we are talking about that dissolving stent the other day. So they made a new stent. This one would dissolve. Great. So you put it in, it opens up the artery, and over three years it dissolves. Seems nice. They put in lots of them. Well, they found out they were causing heart attacks. Oopsie. So slow down on procedures. I got to talk about chelation, and we got we have other topics to get to, and we have to talk about, about economic hubris. Um, but first, chelation. I'll talk about this every time. It's an intravenous treatment that has been shown in high-quality study to diminish risk of heart attacks, strokes, and death and have no complications or side effects, practically none. The study was published in a major medical journal. In my opinion, based on that study, every person in America who's diabetic should consider getting chelations. And if you've ever had a heart attack and you've never heard the word chelation spoken before, you owe it to yourself to investigate this powerful, inexpensive, and provenly beneficial treatment. Why? Is it not everywhere? Why is statin therapy every place and chelation is in the backwater? Because it's a generic mix of vitamins. 
It's not patentable. There's no corporation reaping huge income from it. For that matter, there are no doctors reaping huge income from it. So what do you think happens to a doctor who advocates for these approaches to healthcare? What do you think happens to doctors who are advocating for anti-aging therapy, for weight loss treatment, so you don't become chronically sick, so you stay well, so you don't need stents, so you don't need procedures? What happens to doctors that are advocating for your right to have this knowledge? Well, we're not embraced by all of our colleagues in mainstream medicine. Many of them, yes, but all no. Particularly the cohort of doctors that like to perceive themselves as being superior in status, power, or responsibility. Now, our job is to share information with you, the American public. Specifically, we're here in Rhode Island and throughout Rhode Island. There has been doctors that have taken it upon themselves to weaponize the bureaucracy. So this is a uh, new phenomenon. Let's call it the Twitterization of politics and medicine. And it goes like this. I think this started really, I think it started way back with Richard Nixon when we investigated his behavior and it corroded trust and authority, particularly high places. And we realized politically that you could use the legal process to oppose people and ideas you didn't like. That didn't happen to Bill Clinton. Remember Kenneth Starr? Do we really care what happened with Bill and Monica? How did that ever become part of the conversation? Because these broad investigations drew it out. More recently, Donald Trump and the Mueller report. You would think with the finding that there's no collusion, that'd be the end of it. You'd be wrong. The idea of investigations will continue. Not because there's a dire need, but because it's a way to try to really short circuit a democratic process and take the decision away from the public and put it in the hands of the inner circle of the powerful. So now the uh, Attorney General of Southern New York is investigating Donald Trump's business proceedings. Really? He's been doing business in Southern New York for 40 years. And now they think we need to investigate everything ever happening here? Does that seem a little suspicious to anybody that there may be a political motive? Just maybe. Using the political, I'm sorry, the legal process is weaponizing it. We will cripple this guy. We will torture him. He was a he was just a billionaire hanging out, having a good time. He's got to be questioning the wisdom of what he did. And you know what? If they wear him down and he resigns, they declare victory. Now, in a smaller way, we face a similar kind of opposition. We're doing novel things. Our patients are benefiting. Looking at the comments that are spontaneous out there in cyberspace. We do okay with that, Shannon, do we not? People seem to like us. Our patients are happy. We've been here for many, many years. Well, Dr. What's his name? Krausman? Dr. Krausman, um, by all appearances, a high-quality physician, a man of intellect, um, believes himself to be responsible for the interest of the average Rhode Islander. He actually took it upon himself to write a complaint on the behalf of every Rhode Islander that they were being ill-served by intellectual medicine. 
that we are being fraudulent and misleading. Now, he supported his complaint with, help me out here, Shannon, how many, how many articles from the literature supported that complaint? Were there none? I think there were none. We defended that complaint with hundreds of supportive articles regarding the core of what we do. And at the core of his complaint, I believe it was vitamin C that really got his goat. We will, on the radio show this Saturday at 8 a.m., we will share with you the salient features of the complaint. It's kind of, I, th I think it's enlightening. This is what happens behind the curtain, people, to doctors that stand out from the crowd. It's the old Chinese proverb, the nail that stands up will be hammered down. These type of procedures normally happen behind closed doors. We're going to share it publicly with you. We think that since Dr. Krausman has taken it upon himself to advocate defense of the people of Rhode Island, that the people of Rhode Island should have a say in this process, or at least be aware of it. Because according to him, you're just too dumb and slow and dill-witted to really discern truth from fiction. Even though we've had zero patients complaining about being misguided by our treatments, and abundant patients benefiting. So this was a story that we will share with you. And it's a story of special access to the pathways of power. Dr. Krausman used to work at the Department of Health. He's in the same cabal with many of the others that don't like what we do. And they have one thing in common. They're all part of the power structure of Rhode Island medicine. I don't understand why anti-aging therapy would bother anybody. I, I they don't want to do it. Anti-aging, well, you think they want it for their patients. Yeah. I, I read Dr. Krausman. Apparently, he does something called geriatric medicine. I don't know what that is. But I will distinguish uh, intellectual medicine and anti-aging therapy in this manner. Geriatric medicine, to a degree, is going to make sure your walker fits you properly. Anti-aging medicine says, screw the walker. Use your legs. We'll help you get there. And that's, right, so if I'm, I, I suppose, right, if I'm a mainstream guy and I believe that um, my approach is the best one and here's uh, an outlier advocating for a different approach, I suppose that could be threatening. Look, anytime there's power in place that feels threatened, they're going to react negatively. It's the nature of things. Power is never let go of voluntarily. It has to be somewhat kind of ripped out of their hands. So we look at how power flows. And now we got to talk, Shannon, about, about the Rhode Island Commerce Corporation. Really, they gave, so the state believes that they know how to stimulate the economy. The state is going to attract business. If they knew anything about business, they wouldn't be bureaucrats. In fact, there is a, a, a corollary here. You show me a doctor who do, who's, loves doing bureaucratic medicine, and I'll show you a doctor that is losing touch with clinical competence. There are only so many hours in the day. You can either read bureaucratic briefs or you can study medicine. You don't have time to do both. Uh, it'll be interesting when we read the complaint on Saturday, the way it's worded. Mm -hmm. uh, very legalistic, very sophisticated very much the work of somebody who has spent a lot of time studying bureaucracy at the expense of studying medicine. Anyhow, we're talking about, this is common throughout every state. 
you know what they just gave $200,000 to, Shannon? It's to subsidize a uh, sailing and yachting museum. Yeah, that's right. You know, I think this is important. These poor yachters, you know, they're struggling out there, people. They need your tax dollars. I mean, do you have any idea how much it costs for a good bottle of champagne these days? Do you have any idea how much it costs for their rigging for their yachts? This is not cheap stuff. So they have a yachting hall of fame. Oh, it's killing me. A yachting hall of fame in the state of Rhode Island is giving them money. 200000 is not chump change. Think of other things we could have done besides throw it at a museum dedicated to amplifying the achievements of the rich and privileged. You want a yachting museum? Fine. Pay for it. I don't mind it being there in Newport. I object to my money going to a yachting museum. How about a museum of vitamin C? Yeah, let's do that, Shannon, right here in Rhode Island. You think we get money for that? I'm tired of the state of Rhode Island deciding they think they know who's going to grow jobs here. No, they're not going to track them. They grow organically from the ground up when you create an environment that is enriched. And that enriched environment will not be created by taxing us into oblivion. Our budget in Rhode Island went up 10% this year. Your taxes are going up across the board. They're hidden in a thousand places, but they're going to have the net effect of suffocating the economy. Rhode Island, really, you've been starving for so long, they hand you a biscuit and you think it's a Thanksgiving feast. The recovery that is being highly touted is exaggerated beyond belief. The nation is in recovery thanks to recent changes in economic policy. Rhode Island? We're dragging. Our economy's suffering. Our budget is escalating. We got to flip back. Want to talk about Gronk next? Gronk, hold on though. I read um, Matt Allen put out that Raimondo wants to do a very small toll for cars to help pay for the illegals that are coming in. Did you read that? Oh, I did not. Oh yeah, just small tax. Like just tolls. a little. This is the the, the this is the camel's nose under the tent. So they want to put a, a small tax on cars. Absolutely, because the tolls are there for the trucks. Well, the tolls are there. This was what they predicted all along. You know, here's the here's the lie, the big lie. We're going to use the tolls to fix the roads. They cannot, by law, dedicate where the money goes. It goes in the general fund. Just more money for the state. Here's another lie. They're going to tax now um, internet commerce. Okay, they're putting a sales tax on internet commerce. And the objective was to be fair. After all, the brick and mortar stores have to pay a tax. So we're going to tax. Fine. You want to be fair? Then lower the tax for everybody. If you're going to tax internet commerce and your goal is not to generate more money you can waste, but to make it fair, then make, instead, what's our sales tax? 7%? Let's make it 5% for everybody including the internet commerce. You want to be really fair? Let's get rid of the uh, inventory tax. If I'm a brick and mortar store, Shannon, you owned a store. Yep. You had to pay a tax every year on your stock. Yes, that you already paid tax on to okay. buy it. So Shannon owned a retail store. She would buy her stuff, put it in the store, pay a tax when she bought it. And every year, if that stuff was still on her shelf, pay another tax. 
If I'm cyber store, I'm not paying that tax. That's not fair, is it? And if fairness is the goal, do away with that tax, the inventory tax for business. This, people, how do we stop it from happening? You stop it at the ballot box. Now they go up there and they make their laws and they have their commissions and the line item veto, which we all agree is a good thing for Rhode Island, all agree the majority wants that, will not happen until we protest to the point that we force it upon them. Why won't it happen? Because people never give up power voluntarily. And if they had a line item veto, that would be sur surrendering some of the power at the state house. You got to stay tuned in. Rhode Island is not beyond redemption, nor is the country. But if you go too far down that path, you can hit that tipping point. One thing all the socialists have in common, by and large, they never had a real job. Another thing they've all had in common, by and large, they never had to meet a payroll. They never had to pay a payroll tax or meet a salary. By and large, they are the recipients of generations of hard work accumulating wealth in America. And they woke up one day and saw a pile of money and decided they need to carve it up better. This is absurdity. This is the equivalent of a young person, child of immigrants, parents were laborers, works his butt off, gets a higher education, starts a business, makes lots of money, and then has a child. And the child says, look at what I found. I'm rich. And squanders it. This is a microcosm of capitalism building the country up. Freedom, free enterprise, free capitalism, and then getting squandered by a bunch of entitled socialists who think they know better how to use your money than you do. Who fights for the little guy, right? It's not the government. They're not your friends. They're there to use you to gain their power. In my humble opinion, I'm a vigorous advocate of free enterprise capitalism. This may sound paradoxical, but the antidote to capitalism crushing the little guy, strong and ethical unions, where they can advocate for their right of collective bargaining to make more money and get a better quality of life. The fly in the ointment here is the government trying to squeeze in between these two entities. The government has, has really destroyed the unions by trying to take over their role. Terrible idea. Government needs to back off. And the unions need to stop backing the government that is corroding the purpose, the raison d'existence, right? And small, small businesses like ours, Shannon, it's different. Every day I come to work, I look at my employees in the eye. We see their life and they see ours. If I start driving to work in a Lamborghini one day and I'm asking them to take pay cuts, that ain't going to go well. On a larger scale where the president never sees the workers, there's a disconnect. And that's where I believe a healthy union can build that gap. But we need to, we need to move it back in, kind of back into this hubris medical care place. The hubris of government is that they know best what to do with your money, and they're going to make a plan that's superior to the one that you have, that they can figure out in medicine what health 
is. They can define health, and they're going to make that health definition for you and take away your freedom to make that decision. How do they take away your freedom? Well, they monopolize health care. Not health care, sick care. Let's call it that. Who is your advocate? Who can you trust that's going to put themselves between you and the power structure that wants to get you ablated? Who can you trust that's going to give you good information? It should be your family doctor, your primary care doc. Sadly, your primary care doctor has had their voice stripped and their autonomy compromised. There aren't too many doctors out there that are free agents, that are independent. And it's not by accident. They want control of all elements of healthcare. They cannot have full control, and I'm talking about the power structure, hospitals, the big insurance companies, even the big medical specialty cabals that make crazy money doing lots of procedural stuff that they convince you you need, but a strong-willed family doctor could balance against that if they had freedom. Family doctors, nurse practitioners, general internal medicine specialists should not be employed by a hospital or corporation. They should be required to be independent operators on a small scale. I would make that a requirement. A hospital wants to hire a surgeon, a cardiologist, fine. But when I go to see my family doctor, I don't want him working for the hospital that does the ablations. Because I could tell you what happens to those doctors. If they don't tow the company line, they get fired or negative feedback. Because a company will tell them what's important. Did you ever go to your doctor and feel like there was a force in the room besides the two of you? that somehow there was another agenda being foisted upon you. It's not in your head. It is the computer geeks. It is the administrative geeks. It is the bureaucrats that have taken over medicine. And those same bureaucrats, and we talked about one of them in Dr. Krausman, regardless of whatever attributes he may have as a doctor, he's bureaucratically astute and has weaponized the Department of Health to try to take away some of your freedoms. If intellectual medicine is silenced, then you have one fewer choice, one less option. They're very sneaky. You notice how they do that, Shannon? Mm -hmm. they, we've been doing vitamin C for years here. And we have a long list of literature that we can share with you. And we do share with them. They can find that on our Facebook. And we have a long list of grateful patients. Several years ago, the Department of Health inquired based on another shallow complaint from another doctor, not a patient, into vitamin C, and they found nothing to take action on. Now they are duplicitous in their approach, saying, in essence, well, you can do vitamin C. We don't object to vitamin C being administered. They have to say that because there's no evidence of harm in vitamin C, and the growing literature supports its use. Ironically, what they said is, you just can't talk about it. You can do it, but if you talk about it and you say the wrong words, we're going to take your license away or reprimand you. Anybody else seeing a problem with this? Anybody else seeing an encroachment on freedom of speech? Innovation? If ever there's an area that needs innovation, it's health care, chief among it, cancer care. So we need to talk about 
Oh, Lord, can we talk about prostate cancer a little bit? Prostate cancer, people, we've been at this now for how many years? The latest trend in prostate cancer is, if you have prostate cancer, this is the advance. Get out your pen. Write this down. Some of them among the latest recommendations are active surveillance, also known as watchful waiting. Sounds fancy. It's also known as do nothing. Nothing. Why have we gotten to that state? Decades of research. The, the robotic prostate taking them out surgery. The, the Da Vinci machine. Brilliant. We'll take your prostate out. Brilliant. We'll get it out. The PIVOT study, a study looking at men with prostate cancer. Two groups, right? One group had surgery to take the, the prostate out. The other group did nothing. Nothing. They both had cancer. One group takes out the prostate. The other group does nothing. Twelve years later, what do you think happened? Well, clearly, the people that had the prostate removed must have had less death from prostate cancer. No. The death rate from prostate cancer was the same. Statistically insignificant difference. How about all-cause mortality? The same. Now, you've heard of buyer's regret. There's also buyer's bias. In other words, if I had my prostate removed 12 years ago, especially if I suffered a negative consequence, I have urinary incontinence, my erections aren't working so good, I'm suffering the lack of testosterone, and I'm not really happy. And you mean to tell me I suffered all that and had no benefit? That's hard for my brain to accept. I would rather believe that I saved my life by taking out my gland or letting it be removed. So, is it an option to do nothing? Yes. When the something is known to have a negative consequence, a risk associated, and is yet to be proven beneficial. Now, there are studies out there, a bit murky, trying to figure this detail out. But this is where innovation comes in. Fine, Mr. Smith, you have prostate cancer. You can either do the surgery and have it removed, or you can do nothing. I don't like doing nothing. We know there are things that affect cancer risk. It's risk for metastasizing and progressing. How about we control percent body fat? That's been correlated with increasing prostate cancer risk. Let's do that. We can. We know how. It requires a doctor, a nurse practitioner, a clinician specialized in that niche. And it's not diet and exercise. Great. We can do that. How about the use of some supplements that can be supportive and help my body fight cancer? Pomegranates? You mean to tell me? You have me take, yeah, pomegranates. There's research supporting that. We'll be documenting that and talking about it more on Saturday morning. How about vitamin C intravenously? How about mistletoe therapy injected? These are modalities that have not been proven to cure prostate cancer. They are not FDA approved, but they do no harm. And there's evidence of its benefit in multiple studies Therefore, we have an option now to do something that A, causes no harm, and B, might affect the outcome. Problem, and this is an area where we've been criticized, there's no proof that it works. Well, innovation doesn't have proof until innovation is implemented, results are followed, and proof is acquired. 
if you're going to say that innovation cannot happen because it hasn't been proven to work, you're entering the dark ages of medicine. Nothing new will ever be tried. Doctors will be afraid. They'll be reprimanded. Patients will be left with doing nothing. Watchful, you know why they call it watchful waiting or active surveillance? Because you can't bill for doing nothing. So when you come to see me, I can bill active surveillance. I'll get paid for doing nothing. Not me, but regular docs. So we have opportunities to change the way people respond. Another area, and this is coming up in my lecture, I was invited to speak at an international conference of anti-aging in May in Florida. We can make a copy of that lecture available, can't we, Shan? We're going to try. We think we can. The topic of this lecture is secondary prevention of cancer, the role of intravenous vitamin C and liquid biopsies. That lecture, the essence of it, the substance and topic of it, is the reason Dr. Krausman wrote a complaint in part, and we will, again, share that with you. But here's the irony. That has been embraced by an advanced cohort of the medical population. Intravenous vitamin C is being looked at more and more. We need to use it in an honest fashion, communicating with patients in an honest fashion, and do something to help them. So one of my patients who just completed their treatment for cancer had this common experience. They felt deflated. Why? Because the cancer therapy had ended, and they were patted on the back and say, now go out there and we'll see in three months, and let's hope it doesn't come back. What else can I do, doc? Nothing. We're going to just hope it doesn't come back. You had pancreatic cancer. You had breast cancer. You had colon cancer. We'll hope it doesn't come back. And if it does, we'll give you more chemo. There's got to be something more. Intuition tells us there's got to be something more. In fact, there is. There are many things that can be brought to bear that are going to strengthen your body, strengthen your immune system, and are unpleasant for the cancer cells themselves. This is something that we will be driving at each week. We'll be talking about it every week. We will be educating you on what's known as doubling time, how long it takes one cancer cell to become two. I'll give you a little bit of a foreshadowing of that. It takes anywhere from two weeks to upwards of a year for some cancers to double. Therefore, depending on the type of cancer, it can take seven to 10 years for cancer to get to be the size of one centimeter. Seven to 10 years before it can be one centimeter where it can be seen on most imaging. That tells you that if you find that on imaging, it's been there a long time. It also tells you that after your cancer treatment, if the tumors are gone, the cells can still be dividing. This is where we want to attack the cancer when it's most vulnerable with innovative modalities like intravenous vitamin C that have not been proven to stop cancer from coming back, that are not FDA approved, but are inexpensive, safe, and have a mechanism of action that suggests they just might be of help. How will we ever know? We have to experience it. We must innovate. 13 to 50, 50 five, zero, half of women who've ever had breast cancer 
will suffer a delayed relapse beyond five years. Even when they got to five years cancer-free, this delayed relapse can occur. Sadly, we have gone asleep at the wheel when it comes to what can be done in that intervention. We're running out of time already? How did that happen? We're going to talk about Gronk. So I am glad Gronk retired. I love the man. He's great to watch. He's great to listen to. He's a colorful personality. Uh, We've loved him in New England. If you don't love the Gronk, you just don't like colorful sports heroes. He reminds me a little bit of what I imagine Babe Ruth was like. Flaunting his joyful lifestyle, but a serious athlete, and I believe a very intelligent man. And he has the intelligence to know that his brand would suffer if he's not Superman out on the field. And we saw him starting to lose maybe half a step due to injuries. It was hard to watch him. I became nervous every time he would get hit. But here's the other part of his retirement. The Patriots are happy. They would have had a dilemma. Do you pay a guy that's banged up, past his prime, $10 million, by him retiring, that money's off the cap? It's a really kind of a selfless act on his part because he's enabled the Patriots to have a time to react to his absence. He could have put them in a weird space. Do you pay the Gronk $10 million or do you release him? They would have been in a weird space contemplating that very action and having a bit of a contract dispute with a man who's a folk hero. Like Barry Sanders, like the great Jim Brown, the Gronk walked away with play left in him. I think it's a brilliant move, Gronk. Enjoy your next phase of your career. We'll enjoy watching it with you. But do me a favor. Don't come back. Right? There are no more Super Bowl rings to be had. You've got them. You're a Hall of Fame guy, in our opinion. Stay on the sidelines. I want to see, I want to hear him in the booth. Wouldn't that be fun? That would be great. Furthermore, every time you get a back injury, you never fully recover. Back surgery becomes the platform for the next traumatic injury. Gronk knows this. He's not unintelligent. The next injury to his back, he'd recover from it. But at what price down the road? So fortunately for us, we still have Julian Edelman to chair for. And uh, he is the backbone of the receiving core now. And yes, haters, we're winning another Super Bowl. I'll predict it here. This year, we're going to the top again. And we're taking home yet another Super Bowl. I guess in my next year, I should predict who it's going to be against, Shannon. You should. Since I'm saying we're going to win the Super Bowl. So tune in this Saturday, people. We're going to talk about this Saturday. We're going to talk about a drug for arthritis that can kill you. And we'll warn you about it so that you can be well protected. We're going to touch again about this idea of active surveillance. We're going to tell you about the New Jersey assisted suicide law and why that's a horrible thing and should not be implemented. And we're going to tell you how many push-ups you need to be able to do to prevent a heart attack. You hear about that one, Shannon? No. Push-ups correlate with preventing heart attacks. It's a good thing. On your knees does not count. (laughs) So... But for you, they will. For you, you can count them. You bet you can. Hey, guys, thanks for being on this inaugural show, Facebook Live, Intellectually Speaking with Dr. Petarudi. We will be back again next week at noon on Wednesday. We'll see you then.